0: Vegas Video Network Studios, just steps from the Las Vegas Strip. It's Top of the Food Chain. And now your host. He's one part mohawk, two parts attitude, and a touch up what the f***. It's Al Mancini.
1: All right, thank you. Thank you. Makes it sound like there are a lot of people here. Thank you, guys. You did a good job. Welcome, America. This is Top of the Food Chain. I am your host, Al Mancini, the only food host, I think, in America that has a Muppet doing his introductory track. Where did you get that voice, Scott? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> that, that, anyway, was, that was me. That was you. Wow. Is that your death metal voice? Your, yes! you your... Wow. You should definitely start a death metal <laughs> band with that, man. I know you're into the metal. Anyway, America, this is Top of the Food Chain. We've got a great show planned for you today. <laughs> <laughs> throwing up the devil horns back there, man. We've got a great show planned for you today. We're going to talk about sustainable seafood, in a nutshell, is the fish that you're eating destroying the planet. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that, if you care about either fish or the planet. However, let's get a little business out of the way first. We are top of the food chain. We are on Vegas Video Network. Um, You can see all of our shows and all of our old shows at vegasvideonetwork.com. You can also find them on iTunes in either audio or video versions. You can see them on YouTube. Uh, We now rebroadcast them on 1400 AM KSHP here in Las Vegas every Friday night. That's the entire lineup of um, Vegas Video Network. And I've just started archiving my shows over at almancini.net, so you can find them there. Basically, if you can't find this show, you just are not looking. We like to get your questions, people. So if you've got anything about any food topic that you want to know, hit us up with an email at food at VegasVideonetwork.com. Or if you have something now that you want to chat about, we got a live chat line going on. You just enter some information. I don't know. I've never done it because I'm here and I don't have to chat. But they tell me it's pretty simple to do. So anyway, hit us up with any questions, again, especially about sustainable seafood, because we got an expert on that topic here with us today. If you are listening on the radio, We've got a toll-free listener line, 866-966-4999. Is that 4999? 4599. I didn't wear my contacts today, sorry. Because I don't have them. I'm just pretending my eyesight's not going. (laughs) I've got glasses, but I don't like the way they look. So, um, you know, with a beautiful look like this, you don't want to mess it up with glasses. Anyway, we're going to be getting to sustainable seafood in just a minute. In the meantime, let's kick this show off with some more chat with our buddy Scott. Scott, what's happening, man?
2: Hey, on your recommendation, I did fine French dining this last weekend.
1: Yes, where did you go? I went to uh, Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower. Yeah, I was reading that online. And what'd you think? I happen to think Eiffel Tower is the most approachable fine French restaurant here in Las Vegas. It's Very old school, I think. It's yep. got that old kind of Sinatra fine dining yep. restaurant feel. The guys in the tuxedos. Yep. Incredible view. Everything on the menu is food. Most of the things on the menu you're going to understand, whether you've done fine dining or not. They're not going to confuse you. What, would you agree with me on that one? I do. First of all, I was just happy that I knew what a amuse-bouche
2: was, thanks to you. Did you uh, tell them it, it meant laughing mouth, right? I, I didn't, I just knew, I, we saw it on the menu and I'm like, I know what that is. Yeah. I'm not afraid of that. I will be eating that later. Right. It was great. The service was outstanding. Food was good. The, uh, the view is to die for. I mean, we got a, a window seat right there. I mean, it was just beautiful. Uh, and uh, and the, the captain who uh, helped us was super helpful, super patient. They asked the question that you mentioned, which was, his first question was, how much time do you have with us tonight? So uh, it was not rushed. It
1: was easy. I really liked it. We'll go back. Cool, And yeah, an amazing restaurant. John Joho is a great chef. What he does here in Las Vegas is a little more, again, approachable than what he may do in some of his other restaurants. But that just means you know everybody's really going to enjoy it. They, I think, have more um, engagements there than any other restaurant in Las Vegas. They I mm-hmm. think they have about 10 different engagement packages, anywhere from, say, $75,000 to like $200. All kinds of deals they'll do. They'll put the ring in special desserts for you and things like that. So it's definitely a great romantic restaurant, great French restaurant. So I, I highly recommend it. I'm glad you got to check it out, Scott. Me too. And it was all because of you? Well, I try. I try to at least educate you, because you're the guy that keeps me on the air. Um, <laughs> you sad news here in Las Vegas for the local dining scene. It's taken a death toll this week. Have you heard about any of these closures? Well, I, I know that, um, what was the restaurant, Rosemary's? Rosemary's closed its store yesterday. Surprised yeah. a lot of people. Now, well, I, 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 I heard don't know that about coming. that.
2: I didn't know about it, but there were a ton of people who responded to that, that, that news.
1: Yeah, I had been hearing for a little less than a week from some of my friends in the business that, you know, that was coming. But you always hear these rumors here in town. And I was a little shocked when it actually happened, when I actually called to talk to the manager and they told me, not here and we're not open. So um, we closed the door. So that's sad. Rosemary's Lost, Nora's Wine Bar. Um, has shut, shuttered its doors. I was over there the other day just where's to that? confirm that. Nora's Wine Bar. It's right over in Boca Park, basically. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah, yeah it's a really great restaurant, owned by the same family that owns Nora's. but um, I don't know what happened there. I guess just another sign of the times. Mm. And then I've heard, um, oh, what's the ice cream place on East Sahara? Leather, Leather, leather Beasts? I think popular ice cream joint mm-hmm. on East Sahara has apparently closed its doors. Um, and then one more. I can't, I don't even have the list all in front of me, but a lot of really, really popular local places and just sign of the times, man. It is a bummer. Uh, Uh, Are you seeing a lot
2: of, I've had a couple people ask about chefs moving around from restaurant to restaurant. Are you seeing that yourself? You have a much higher visibility to that than I would.
1: I think chefs in this town tend to move around a lot. I mean, we'll have a chef here today and we can ask him that question when we get him when we get him seated here. Um, but I think chefs do tend to move around a lot in this town. There's a lot of opportunity, in my opinion, for young chefs in this town, um, guys who in another city may not be able to have their own restaurant or move up the ladder quite as quickly. But because we have a lot of sort of absentee chefs here in Las Vegas. They're always anxious to have young guys come in and give them the opportunity to sort of run their kitchen. So guys move up the ladder really quickly and it seems to me they jump from place to place, but we'll ask our chef friend about that because he has a lot more visibility on that than I do. Uh, Seeing something in the chat real quick, Jackie wants to know, and I'm not sure if I'm gonna pronounce this correctly, but she
2: wants to know if if you are aware of and going to this all-star, Koshan, Koshan,
1: yes, at the Cosmopolitan. Absolutely, I was going to plug that next week because I think that's on the twenty fourth. So I would plug it next week. But yeah, All Star Koshan. Koshan is basically a cooking competition. Ah. Some of the finest chefs in America come out, and they basically they find artisan raised pigs, um, pigs made on very you know grown on very good farms under great conditions, super tasty pigs. I don't know if they actually pick out their own cute little piggy for slaughter, but they slaughter the pigs, and then the idea of Koshan is a snout to tail meal. I mean, they use every piece of the pig. They do anything you could possibly do with the pig, and it does benefit a charity. I don't remember what off the top of my head because I wasn't prepped for that question today, sorry. But (laughs) it'll be the 24th, and it's an all-star Koshan. It's some of the guys who have won in plenty of other cities. It's going to be over at the Cosmopolitan. A lot of their chefs are going to be competing in it as well. Highly recommend checking it out. Are they all cooked the same or they all get to do their individual flair on that? No, everybody does different stuff. I haven't actually attended one in the past, but from what I understand, there are seminars on how to properly butcher down a pig and there are seminars on different ways to cook it and they just use everything involved in a pig they're using and it should be really, really cool. open to the public. Open to the public, I think it's $150 for a ticket. That includes, of course, a lot of food and I assume some beverages. I know there's a $200 VIP that also includes some caviar and some definitely higher end beverages and you get first access to the chefs. That's, again, if I'm remembering all of this correctly, Dave Varley is going to kill me because he asked me to plug this for him. good friend, chef of mine, who's participating. But I was planning on doing it next week. So Jackie, thanks for jumping the gun on me, making me look <laughs> stupid. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> oh, and um, Carluccio's, that's the other restaurant, by the way, that I'm hearing rumors has closed their mm-hmm. doors. But I haven't been able to call over there. Just, just popped into this crazy little head of mine, so I figured. Anyway, we need to get to our guest. We have rambled long enough. Um, we're going to be talking sustainable seafood with one of the finest seafood chefs and overall chefs here in Las Vegas in just a second. We'll be right back after this.
2: This is David Ivey from Pub Crawl. It's funny because, is David? No, you should just leave it on. Hi, I'm David Ivey from Pub Crawl and you're watching the Vegas Video Network. And scene.
1: And we are back. All right. Um, I love that you always plug the alcohol ones for me, Scott. That's cool. Anyway, we've got Chef Anthony here, Anthony Fusco from RM Seafood. How are you, my brother? Good. Good How are you doing, man? Thanks for
0: having me on. Pretty excited. Oh, please. Please. (laughs) Thank you. Um,
1: Anthony, head chef, of course, beneath Chef Rick Moonen, but um, the guy running the kitchen day to day while Rick is out saving the world. That's me. For the most part. Yes, sir. um, Long time. Proponent of um, sustainable seafood. I yes. know you opened Harbor in New York City, which yes. is a sustainable seafood short-lived
0: but very successful. Yeah,
1: yeah. and Joe is dory and you worked over there together. Absolutely,
0: right? I opened it with Joe and uh, my uh, my executive sous chef right now, who's with me at RM, uh, Jonah Kim. So cool. the three of us were the uh, the opening team there, um, and you know we just uh, try and do the right thing. Cool. Yeah, and I want to explain to people because you
1: hear this term sustainable seafood, right? And basically, what we're talking about really is the fact, and I've heard really. Frightening statistics, but that something within our lifetime, ninety percent of the species that we eat will will simply be extinct or no longer no longer they'll, they'll able to pull them out of right, the water. They'll be
0: at they'll be at uh, dangerous population levels, and whether or not we'll be able to continue to use them as a food source is in question. So, yeah, so definitely uh, an important uh, an important issue in today's
1: time. Yeah, and, and it is frightening. I mean, when you think about things, we're down to, I think, maybe 10% of the bluefin tuna population. Yep. Cod's been decimated. Cod's, Cod's I mean, taken a toll, yeah. Cod uh, is a
0: fish that I think they, they, they say that's the whole reason North America was populated. They came for the cod. Cod, and, 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 uh, and of course, the oyster on the East Coast, yeah, especially up in New England, um, has, has a great, great history to it. And, you know, it was just one of those uh, unfortunate cases where, um, you know, it, its abundance, you know, kind of uh, turned on itself. and it became one of those species that uh, just kept getting pulled from, pulled from, pulled from, and they just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller before they uh, figured out hey, um, we can't keep doing this or we're not going to have any to pull from at all. So, similar to what happened in swordfish in, in the, uh, the mid and late 80s, early 90s, where, you know, uh, huge boom in its popularity and then uh, the decimation of the, of the population was. Yeah, it's quick. So we're just seeing animals, seeing species disappear. We're seeing things that
1: we used to be able to get easily that we can no longer get. You might notice that we're eating fish right now that my parents thought of as garbage fish. Things like shark and, you know, things like monkfish suddenly became popular because the fish that our parents ate disappeared and our parents couldn't find them anymore. Exactly, exactly. we're, We're going further and further down the food chain, people, and it is really problematic. If you love seafood, you do have to worry about this because the truth is your kids may not be able to eat seafood and that's not... Some kind of liberal lefty yeah, alarmism. Yeah, not it's- really an
0: exaggeration. It's um, it's it's close. I mean, it, we're we're not critical. We're not at a critical stage right now. But uh, like you said, at this rate, it's something. Uh, yeah, to pay attention.
1: And I mean, know. and I don't have kids, so personally, I should just say, feed me the last bluefin, and what do I care? But you <laughs> well, know, you
0: gotta, <laughs> you know, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the
1: problem. Right. So, so you know, you got to be, on be, on be right a little moral, fence. and yeah, be on the right side of the fence. So I want to talk really about what the main issues are
0: about. First of all, overfishing. Right. Overfishing is the biggest one, you know, and. Um, for whatever reason, uh, a lot of Americans are sort of stuck in this mindset where there's only a couple different species that th- that they recognize right away that they're comfortable eating. You know, red snapper is a big one. Swordfish is a big one. Uh, different kinds of sea bass. Um, East Coast halibut is one. Uh, East Coast cod is another one. Um, and they're really the ones that are on the forefront of... Um, uh, population being in danger, and it's not only just overfishing, but you know the, the destruction of habitat that these fish live in also leads to fewer and fewer and fewer of them for us to catch or you know overcatch in some ways. I
1: definitely want to talk about the habitat because what we what we eat also applies to that. But in the overfishing context, I mean there are a lot of things. It seems that the fish we like the most. Mm-hmm. The tuna, the swordfish, the big fish—the ones that Americans, for the most part, really, really enjoy—take right. the longest
0: to come to maturity. Yes, and the longest to get to reproductive age. Yes, absolutely. Those are two very, very important um, scientific facts about, especially the East Coast cod and the East Coast halibut. They're slower to mature than the West Coast species. They're slower to reach um, reproductive ages than the, the West Coast species. So it makes it that much more difficult to maintain, you know, a stock um, to, to fish from. So. Right. And we have, in the past, I read between 1950
1: and I think 2006, our consumption—the human race's consumption of seafood—multiplied eight times. Right. And it's because I guess we came up with ways
0: to pull millions of fish out of the. These boats go out there. Right. And and, and you know each one of these boats, you know, some of these larger-scale operations, they're actually like floating factories because not only are they catching the fish, but they're cleaning them, filleting them, and flash freezing them you know minutes after they're brought on board, on onto the ship so i mean you're you're creating um, you know a, a living working factory out of the middle of the sea so that you know, there's no waste. It doesn't have to wait till it gets back to the dock to unload, you know, or whatever it has so that it can be yeah. processed. They're doing it right so on I'm, the boat, so it's happening.
1: Just so fast. coming to mind right now, I mean, an image I had coming over here is sort of, it's like those images you see of the people machine gunning down the buffaloes, just taking them all out at you once. You know,
0: and, and stupid stuff, like cutting, cut using. you know, cutting the horns and the hooves or, or whatever and leaving, you know, the rest of the right. carcass just to, uh, to lay out there, you know, hides and things of that nature where... But, this factory
1: thing that you're describing, it I mean, it, it's, isn't that seen in like the Lorax and me or something? Like Dr. <laughs> well, Seuss where they're I'll, just ripping up the, the yeah, forest? I'm sure, I'm sure if, you, if you
0: close your eyes and, and you envision like just how awful some of these things can be, I'm not sure that it's, it's that bad. But you know what it is, these operations are so large and they're pulling in so many fish, tons and tons of fish. And not only are they catching the targeted species, but they're bringing on stuff that we call bycatch. Bycatch is you know, turtles and rays and things of that nature that sort of just get caught in in the netting, in the web. And what they do with that, you know, leads to issues with uh, with other species that aren't necessarily... Uh, targeted for uh, for human consumption.
1: And I think the reason that people are able to deal with this, the fact that people are not more alarmed by this, is because you're not seeing it. You look out onto the ocean and it looks just as beautiful as always. You never saw how many fish were swimming around down there. You never knew what was happening. So now you look out at the ocean and you're like, it looks like the ocean looked yeah. in the pictures from 100
0: years ago. And you know, they, they give you the statistics that, oh, two thirds of this planet are, is covered with water and there's, you know, uh, so much of the the ocean has been undiscovered and all this other stuff, but there's only pockets where these specific species of fish live. Um, namely, like a true Gulf red snapper lives where the Mississippi hits the uh, Gulf of Mexico, The Mississippi River hits the Gulf of Mexico. And it lives there for a reason. It has the entire Gulf to live in, and it specifically chooses that region because of how fertile and how um, you know the temperature is right, uh, its food source is there, uh, it's just a perfect uh, set of circumstances for these fish to, to live and to breathe and, and to reproduce there and everything. So it's not the entire Gulf of Mexico is full of these beautiful red snapper. It's certain pockets that they overfish, and that's where it's becoming an issue. All right, we've got a question on the chat line. Scott. I want to
2: know, is there, category... is there a category like grass-fed cows for seafood?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd say for uh, anything that you see that says wild caught uh, is is a pretty good indication that uh, you're dealing with a product that was handled responsibly. Um, Anything, uh, you know, once we get into farm raising, and I know that this is going to be further on down the road, farm raise is a great option, but you have to make sure that the farm is doing their diligence for uh, protection of the species that it's raising, and also the environment that it's raising it in. So we'll, there, we'll yeah, touch we'll on that. Definitely uh, get to that. But I do want to say the
1: categorization
0: it can be a little tough.
1: I mean, I know your boss Rick yep. a- actually testified in front of Congress trying to come up with a standard yes. for what the word organic would mean on exactly, seafood because exactly. people are using the word organic. And no, Maya, it was Maya's question, right? Yeah. Um, no, you you can't trust a word like that because
0: it doesn't have a meaning in the in the federal government's language. Exactly, exactly. There there are few uh, regulations when it comes to protection of seafood species, protection of the environment when it comes to uh, these uh, these uh, you know large scale uh, fishing operations. But I, I mean, I would try to stay to you know anything wild caught. That's always a, a great place to start. Um, and then you know ask your fishmonger whether you're going to Whole Foods or. You know, wherever it may be that you're picking up uh, your fish in town, seafood city, something like that, ask them. See how much they know. If they're educated about it and they're and they're, um, you know, comfortable talking to you about where they're they're getting it from, then it's a pretty good indication that it's it's uh, responsibly done. And another
1: quick piece of advice, and we'll get into more details. Learn the species. Learn the ones that are in trouble. I mean, if you if you look and you see a Chilean sea bass, just don't eat it. I mean, uh, despite Whole Foods maybe trying to convince you that it's getting off the endangered list, I'm not buying it. A lot of people in the industry aren't buying it. Not buying it. Find out which species are in trouble and just steer clear of them, and we will get to how you can find that out in a second. But in the meantime, we've got another question.
2: Are there farms
0: for lobster and shrimp? No. Nope. Lobster, uh, shrimp, there are farms. Lobsters, there is not. Uh, Lobsters, crabs, crustaceans of that sort, uh, those are all wild caught and and should be. What, is a, so.
2: what does a shrimp at a farm
1: eat?
0: Good question. Um, and usually, interestingly enough, we've got one. Oddly enough, opened. yeah, we just did the, uh, an opening for a shrimp farm that's up in uh, North Las Vegas. It's called Blue Oasis Pure Shrimp. Uh, great product, um, great operation that they have going on up there. And, um, you know, each farm, uh, based on growth rates, based on what kind of shrimp they're raising, uh, based on how big they want their finished product to be, they'll they'll manicure their own feed so that it's specific to the species of shrimp that they're raising. Like I said, how big they want it to get, how much time they want the fish to the the shrimp to spend in the pens. Um, you know, you can liken it to grass versus grain fed as far as cattle. They're herbivores. They should be eating grass. Okay. Uh, cattle, the, not shrimp. Ca- yes, of course. Um, <laughs> forgive me, I'm crossing here. The uh, it, it, Farmers realized that these cattle get so much bigger, so much faster when they're fed grain, they started feeding them grain. That's where the whole hormone and um, antibiotics comes in, because you're feeding an herbivore a grain, so it's naturally going to make it sick. So they're keeping them healthy by using hormones and antibiotics instead of feeding it what doesn't make it sick, which is
1: just plain grass. So so shrimp farms would have similar problems. We're going to go, I mean, I'm personally, not to just plug my other projects, but I'm going to be writing about um, this blue oasis for Las Vegas City Life within the next couple of weeks. So I'm actually going to be going up there, taking the tour, interviewing people. So we will get into specifics in that article on shrimp farming. In the meantime, I'm going to reel us both in on this discussion just a a little little bit. kind of going off um, topic here. Okay, so we've talked about overfishing. That's one of the major problems with sustainable seafood. I want to touch, since we're on farming, I want to talk to people because everyone thinks, okay, we're out there, we're overfishing, we're killing the wild too fast, we should just start farming these, these animals the way we do with cattle, and then we're not hurting the natural thing. I don't think anybody out there. I don't. Th- I'm sure many people do, but I don't think a lot of people out there understand what a salmon farm is. I think a lot of people picture this little aquarium where they're growing right. salmon, yeah, and that's you know,
0: logical. In, in the same in the same uh, vein, where you know, if you close your eyes and you think of what a, of a traditional farm on the American in the American Midwest looks like, you know, rolling pastures and a red barn and tractor and this and that and third, not not even close. Nice. So and explain, really not even close. please, what a salmon farm is in reality. Well, uh, a good one or a bad one. Uh, Let's
1: talk about the average, which I think is bad.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh, You know, a lot of these salmon farms... Kind of overpopulate the pens that these fish live in. And first of all, I, I just want to,
1: because we're draw, I want to draw a picture from very scratch. These pens that we're talking about are in the middle of the ocean. Yes. They're not in an aquarium. No. They're in the ocean. Yes. They're just big nets. And they're nets that go around, and they're miles wide, half a mile, hundreds of yards.
0: They're 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 large.
1: They're, they're okay. large. I don't have specific square footage or or, or things but any uh, they're information. Huge pens. Right. And they're in a plot of the ocean, and then they only go down so far. They don't go all the way down to the bottom, but yes. the salmon stay at the top, so right. they can't get out of there. Well,
0: the deeper they go, the colder the water uh, you're, you're going to encounter. So you want to maintain a, uh, as livable, as perfect a livable environment for these fish. So what, what happens is um, overpopulation is a huge issue. They put too many animals into one pen. Now, salmon are carnivorous. They eat fish. So um, in this situation where they're being fed a, a certain type of feed, uh, they're not you know, behaving as a normal salmon would, as far as predator-prey relationship kind of thing. So they're not really being salmon. Let a salmon be a salmon. Swim upstream. They're not swimming upstream. Stream. They're not eating what they want. They're now,
1: developing mites
0: because lice. there's lice. Yeah, and, and, and that's another problem. Like, too many animals in a small, um, confined space, if one gets sick, a lot are going to get sick. And, and you know, who's going to get in the pen and be like, nope, this one's sick, this one's OK, this one's sick? No, they process everything. Because right. they're not going to throw away an entire pen full of fish just because they feel as though there's been an outbreak. Whether they should or not, different issue. Right. But, um, you know, and not only that, but if you have so many animals living in a confined space. They're eating and they're defecating in that space. And that brings up the destruction of the habitat. Right. So
1: we got, we yeah, we go, go I want to go just to kind of bring it all in. So we've got these animals in a small space. They're not swimming upstream. They're developing lice, which they shouldn't have. So we have to throw pesticides on them yeah. to, to kill those lice, which of course you don't want in your food. Right. You've got now they're getting, I guess they don't spawn, so you have to give hormones to them because right. they won't naturally breed. So now you're spraying unnatural hormones on them. Um, and now you're throwing in a food that they wouldn't eat. Now you've got all of these unnatural, disgusting things in this huge piece of ocean that has animals living underneath this salmon. You know, yes. this is, These pens only go down so far. Then underneath that, you should have crabs and other types of fish. Right. And what you've got is a bunch of salmon poop and a bunch of pesticides feed, and a yeah. bunch of feed and yeah. all of this going down to create what I think Rick calls like the gray zone of death or it's, something. It's like, just a
0: mat that that covers the ocean floor and it just suffocates anything that, that would be living underneath it, um, be it uh, plant, animal life, everything. It's just, it's just eradicated by everything sinking to the bottom.
1: So those of you who thought farming salmon in the ocean is a good way to save... The oceans, this is the reason Think why farm-raised salmon yeah. is something that we've, we recommend and people in the industry, much smarter than me and as smart as you, well, recommend staying away from farm-raised salmon. Try That's to, the other one. try to. we know. got another question.
2: Yeah, Nate wants to know, where does RMC Seafood get their, their seafood?
0: We, uh, we have a couple different vendors. Um, you know, we, we buy a lot of our fin fish from Supreme Lobster. I have a great relationship with our rep over there. His name is Larry Mannheim. I've known him for... Probably too long. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we've worked together both here in Vegas and in New York. Uh, he's one of our, uh, our our, you know, reputable sources. We buy from Santa Monica Seafood. We buy from, you know, we try and buy our shellfish from like little niche producers. You know, we have uh, Stephen Mike's, which is in Vancouver, uh, and they provide for us a lot of our West Coast oysters. Um, Peerless is, is another company we buy from out of the East Coast. Uh, and we, tr- we try and, you know, spread it around. Uh, it's, of course, you know, we're trying to run a business, so we got to make sure that what we're buying not only is it responsibly farmed or caught, but it's got to be within you know a, a certain price range, so that when it comes to me, I can butcher it down, right. get a proper portion, sell it to you for a, de- uh, a decent rate. Cool. So we have one more over there, Scott. We do. Uh,
2: Maya wants to know: Must a piece of fish in an American supermarket say if it's farm-raised or not? Is, is it mandatory for them to... to I don't know if it's Legally,
1: I don't know. But they do. They generally I think, do. I think they do label them uh, farmed or wild. And I think part of the interesting reason is, ironically, I think a lot of people think they're helping the environment by eating farm-raised. Farm-raised, right. And that, I, you know, so that's a selling point, even though it shouldn't be. Even though it should scare you away, a lot of people are drawn to it because they don't understand the realities of a farm. Exactly. Can we exactly. also talk about some other... Other problematic species that are problematic for other reasons. Sure. For example, shrimp. Nothing necessarily wrong with them,
0: but it's the way they're harvested. Exactly. You know, um, we try and buy uh, domestic shrimp, American shrimp, farmed or caught uh, or wild caught from the Gulf of Mexico. Um, a lot of shrimp farms that are outside the United States don't have any regulations on them. So you don't know what. You don't know what the, the water that they're living in looks like. You don't know what they're feeding them. You don't know what kind of chemicals that are going into the feed. You know, and that goes back to the whole salmon thing. A farm-raised salmon has to be fed keratin in order for its flesh to become orange, mm. because it's not living off of its normal diet. So for a shrimp, uh, for a salmon, for uh, whatever it may be that they're farm-raising, anytime you start tinkering with what makes a fish what it is. Uh, you're kind of crossing the line, you're blurring the line there. Shrimp, they pack into pens because they're a non-aggressive species They're, You know, it's similar to, like, tilapia. Tilapia, they'll just pile on top, on top, on top, on top, and they'll literally be flopping around, barely enough water for them to to breathe and to swim in, which is not really swimming because, like I said, they just kind of flop around. Um, And and it's the overcrowding, the overpopulation in these international, these... uh, um, outside the United States, and they have no regulation. But so even here
1: in America, don't we have a problem with, say, just dredging the ocean to floor to yeah. get as many shrimp as possible? Absolutely. Even when it's being done in the wild, here in the US, we'll kind of dredge up the entire floor. And as
0: I understand it, that just destroys a million other species, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Anything that lives on the bottom, we're talking about any type of crustacean, any type of uh, bivalve mollusk, any type of flatfish, halibut, fluke, flounder, things like that, um, they're camouflage species, so they, they live and, and, you know, Survive on the bottom, so be it from the you know the the waste of a salmon farm, or from the dredging of like these g- giant you know uh, I don't know claws that they just scrape the uh, the ocean floor with. I mean you're destroying the habitat. You're you're just okay. So we have been depressing. Yeah, we are
1: going to get to how we can actually Flip still it. enjoy seafood and not have to want to you know, feel guilty and yes. have to kill ourselves. Let's. In just a second, first we've got another chat question.
2: Yeah, with regards to the, uh, the Gulf, did Katrina or the Gulf oil spill have a large impact on the ability to
0: buy shrimp? Absolutely. Um, a lot of the chemicals that they put into the water, a lot of dispersants, a lot of coagulants, um, and the oil itself uh, naturally either sinks or, you know, travels with the current. So it, it'll it'll definitely be an issue uh, for, I don't know that it's going to be an issue for a while. I mean, just, just the amount of oil that went into the Gulf in, in that huge window of, of time that it had uh, was, was mind-blowing. It really was an incredible, like, if you think about the number of barrels an hour and the number of hours that that leak was, you know, literally wide open, it, it makes you cringe. It really, really does. And, you know, know how many... No matter how much uh, relief effort and and chemicals that they put and try to clean it up, it's going to be an issue that we're dealing with. And um, recently, I'm talking a couple of months now, uh, Rick and I were down in Destin, Florida, and we did an event for a company called uh, Gulf Wild, And it's a uh, collective of uh, fishermen who have uh, gotten together, realized that not only is Snapper on the red list from the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Which we're going to get to in a second. as As a species to avoid because of its... Uh, overfishing or bycatch or catch methods, whatever the case may be, Um, this whole natural disaster or man-made disaster only feeds into uh, the the condition of the fish, the condition of the shrimp, and uh, it's it's kind of a big mess down there. It really, really is. I've heard some people suggest that possibly if there is any bright side to the Gulf spill that the fact that we will not be pulling fish out of that area may allow some of those species to replenish. Right, right. And, so. and like I said, Gulf Wild is, is on the forefront of that because they're a, a company, they're a collective of fishermen that have gotten together and said, listen, it's not that we can't sell uh, red snapper to the American public. It's not like we can't sell, uh, uh, you know, Gulf Grouper to restaurants and to, to supermarkets. It's just the way that we're, we're handling it. You know what I mean? If we're, if we're smart about it and we do, you know, line catch, uh, a lot of these, um, a lot of these boat captains have actually developed a tagging system, where they put a, a, a gill plate tag on it. It's got a number that you can track where the, the boat was, GPS when the fish was caught, uh, the name of the captain, the date and time that that tag went onto the fish. So they're they're taking the necessary steps uh, so that the Gulf true Gulf snapper now, true red Gulf snapper, um, is making you know steps to get itself off of the red list. And Let's it's just, talk it's about just a group of people like that, that that want to be a little bit more responsible, want to do things the right way, have a little integrity integrity with what they're doing goes a long way. I apologize for stepping on you there. <laughs> Let's talk about um, that red list though.
1: Because yeah. you've said it a few times. Yeah. We've got a graphic. This comes from the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Monterey Bay Aquarium. And yes. it's called Seafood Watch. Yep. You can get these cards. They're broken down to red, yellow, and green. Yep. Red, you should avoid at all costs. Yeah, pretty tough to follow there. Red, yellow, and green. And yeah, yellow are decent alternatives. A good alternative, yes. And then green, wonderful, no problem eating those babies, at least right now. Have at it. Yeah, go for it. Have at it. And you can get this, by the way, which is really cool. You can download this as an app for your iPhone, for your BlackBerry. So when you're actually in the restaurant, you pop this up. You enter in the name of the fish you're going to eat. It'll tell you whether it's red, yellow, or green. Exactly, exactly. What I want to do to make people feel a little better, because this is depressing, right. is go down some of the big fish on the red list, because what these guys do so incredibly well over at RMC Seafood, they don't ever have anything from that red list. Never. I think you go mainly towards green. Green green, and, and yellow when we have to. Right. Yellow when we have and to. And what's amazing, this is one of the best seafood restaurants in the country, you would never miss these fish. The people, I'm sure, are coming in and they're asking, you know, where's the Chilean sea bass? But you've got another fish that's going to taste just as good with the same recipes. If not
0: better. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with comfortability. I don't know what, uh, uh, I don't know what Arctic char is. So I'm going to stay away from it. Right. and and it's that sort of resistance that we're trying to chip away at. So for people, when you're
1: out there, especially when you're cooking at home, but even when you're out in restaurants, I want to go down. Say what you think are the five five of the you know most worrisome red list fish yeah. that people always come in and they always want in your restaurant, and then what they can substitute for that fish easily. So it, what, just off the top of your head, what would? You, okay, let's say chili and sea bass. Yep. Yeah. What can I make that tastes the same, feels the same, practically the same, and works in all the
0: same recipes as Chilean sea bass, but is on the green list or at least the yellow? Wild-caught striped bass, without question. It's uh, it's a fish that's available. I'd say between eight and nine months out of the year. Uh, it's it's uh, it's got the same density, so it'll have the same texture. Uh, you can apply just as many cook techniques to it. You can do. You can roast it. You can grill it. You can braise it. Uh, you can slice it raw for sushi. You can make a ceviche out of it. Uh, it, it'll handle any application that you throw at it, and it's caught in a responsible manner. Uh, another big one that everybody loves because it's, you know, it's got like sort of this prestige to it, bluefin tuna. Right. Now, and this is one of the worst. I mean, this it is, is literally one of the worst species to go out and, and look for and, and eat, without question. And what would you recommend in its place? Ahi tuna, big eye tuna, albacore tuna. Um, there there are... Yellowfin? Oh, yellowfin. Yellowfin, okay. Yes, forgive okay. me. Okay. Yeah. Um, there are... Um, people who catch them hook and line the way they should be caught instead of you know, these, these mass you know, nettings and all these other, other uh, irresponsible uh, methods. Um, so uh, we're, not, we're not saying don't eat tuna. We're saying don't eat bluefin. Because yes. honestly, if, if, if I put a slice of bluefin tuna, a slice of albacore, a slice of big eye, and a slice of yellowfin in, in front of you and you had all four blind, I would be so impressed if you could pick the bluefin out. I would be so impressed if you could pick them out. Now, does it have, like, the prestige? Yeah, of course. It's the same thing as eating, like, uh, Mishima Wagyu. Like, it's a high-end product. Not everybody is going to get the opportunity to eat bluefin belly. But that doesn't mean that you should go out and, you know,
1: overfish it so that it's for the masses. Well, the problem is, in Japan, it seems to be for the masses. Well, in Japan, they eat whale. Yeah, but they seem to only want bluefin tuna. I mean, it's it's sad to say, but it's... True fact, Americans could cease consuming bluefin tuna 100%, yeah, tomorrow. and it probably would not slow down that species' extinction, which nope. could very well be coming within the next
0: decade. Uh, easily within the next generation. I don't know about decade. Certainly in the next generation. It's, it's just one of those it's one of those things. I, don't, I mean, tuna is such an impressive animal. It swims the length of the Pacific like hundreds of times throughout the course of its life. It all it does. It swims from, from California back to Japan, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, so the whole fish, and these fish get gigantic, it's just one living, breathing, swimming muscle. And it's, it's an amazing animal to behold. It really, really is. And the fact that they're targeting it so, to, to such a point where it's being threatened, it, it, it really blows my mind. It really, really does, because there are so many different species of tuna that are edible, that are just as delicious, that are you know perfect substitutes for bluefin. We've got another question, Scott? Yeah, Nate wants to know, are the crabs caught on the deadliest catch? Okay. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I, 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 you know, I've seen the show. I have a tremendous amount of respect for 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 what those uh, those wackos do and, <laughs> and, and the industry that it is. Right. But uh, absolutely, see now that that's 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 fishing. They bait they bait traps. They throw them in the water. They drive away. They let them soak. They almost drown. They, yeah, oh, forget forget <laughs> about the conditions. I, you want me to do what? At least it's, you know,
1: they've got as good chance of dying as the
0: crabs do. There's a sportsmanship they're, attitude they're, for it. Exactly. <laughs> there, there's an element of, of sportsmanship, like you said, that, that that makes it fun to watch. Obviously, they made a TV show out of it. So, deadliest, deadliest catch, Alaskan blue, uh, Alaskan king crabs, absolutely
1: fun to eat. I also brought it up when we did a show about oysters, but oysters... Are incredibly
0: healthy for the environment. Yeah, oysters they're, they're clean filters. The, yeah, they they're, clean the environment. Absolutely. So oysters, a, a lot of the bivalves, oysters, scallops, mussels, clams. Um, you know, they're they're great for the environment. They're filter feeders. They, what they do is they siphon plankton and, and any impurities as they as the you know the current you know washes through them, they suck in whatever they need. They spit out whatever they don't. Right. I want to tell people um,
1: probably just because I want to get it off my chest, probably the single most evil animal you can eat in the world, the most evil ingredient, excuse me, nothing wrong with eating the animal per se, has got to be shark's fin soup. And we're in the shark's fin soup capital of America here in Las Vegas. Yep. The rest, The casinos do not put it on their menus because they don't want to take the flak. They refuse to take it off their menus because the Asian high rollers insist upon it. And for me, it's the triple whammy. It is unsustainable. Incredible. It it is cruel. Actually, let me put it this way. It's cruelly harvested. In case you don't realize this, they pull a several hundred pound shark out of the ocean. They cut off its three fins, which is all that they need for shark's fin soup. And then they don't want to waste the space on the rest of the shark. So they throw it back into the ocean to drown to death, a shark drowning in the ocean. So it is cruel. Which, okay, we eat some cruel foods. It is wasteful. You let several hundred pounds of meat go to waste so you can harvest a pound or two of fin meat. Yep. And it is environmentally devastating because it is decimating the shark population. And at that point, it is, um, you know, those sharks then aren't there to consume the things they're supposed to consume. And that population explodes. And then those things decimate a lower population. It goes all the way down the. Field. And here's
0: the rub shark fin doesn't have any taste. No. It's, it, it, it's, it's the collagen. It's, it's what it lends to the texture of the finished product that really uh, makes it what it is. So you're, you're not eating it for the sake of eating it. You're not going to eat it and be like, oh, my God, this is the best shark fin I've ever had. Right. You're, you're eating a soup based off of what that fin does to the liquid that it's poached in. It'll, it'll give it like a, a richness and like a certain mouthfeel, if you will, but it really won't lend a lot of flavor. And so stay away from the shark. I will. I will. Plead guilty because I have to. The other
1: day I did review um, a shark cartilage dish and mm-hmm. from a Japanese restaurant, mm-hmm. but I was assured that it was not fin cartilage that they used. It was far less expensive than fin cartilage, and it was actually the Japanese tradition of using the entire body of the shark, which. Doesn't pose the problems that I feel eating pure shark fin does. I know it's still on the red list, and I generally try to avoid red list fish, but I do splurge from time to time. Al, so anybody? Al, I was on the phone with Rick. I was on the phone with Rick one time, Come telling on, him ow. I was eating
0: monkfish liver, and he yelled at me too. So, yeah, monk's another one. Monk, monk is not so much about the the species or the destruction of the habitat, is that if you caught a say a 50 pound monkfish, you'd probably get, I don't know, 20 pounds of meat off of it. It's got such a gigantic head and belly like cavity that you're eating basically like the back third of the fish, which right. goes right into what we were saying about the shark. Incredibly wasteful, Right. you know what I mean? Anytime that you can utilize uh, something like a, an Alaskan halibut is, is such a great um, example of a sustainable fish. Um, it's, ca- it's line caught. Uh, you can literally use every single part to it. You can make stock out of the bones. You can eat the cheeks and, and, the, and the head meat you obviously get these beautiful fillets that you can cut down into portions. Uh, they mature faster than the East Coast. But that, that's the problem with shark's fin in general is that you can utilize
1: a vast majority of the shark. And like I said, this cartilage product that I had was a prime example of how the Japanese do just that compared to the Chinese. You can actually make shark a, a sustainable product if we only took as much shark out of the water as we could eat the entire shark. Right, And you know, that, that's just what's absolutely well, I've, I've preached enough on that topic and called myself out for being a hypocrite hey, at the same time. So. Listen, <laughs> I applaud you for it. I really do. Great job. We've got another
2: question. Scott. Uh, do you guys have an opinion on why uh, folks here in America don't eat dolphin? Like flipper dolphin? Yeah, is it because it's flipper? I mean, I guess they eat it. I little. don't know I if don't it's know edible. I I guess it's edible. Well,
0: it's a mammal. Oddly enough, I mean, this is a a, a bit of a veer, but I saw a picture of what whale meat looks like from a photograph from a Japanese market, and it looks like uh, red meat. Looks like cattle, like cow, like a steak. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a mammal. It's you know warm-blooded. It breathes oxygen. So it has all. It has a lot of the similar qualities that you would expect from beef. Very very deep red, um, like ivory white fat and marbleization. Uh, but it's it's whale. So, I mean, it's kind of a paradox. I don't know that I'd ever eat dolphin just because I, I've never flippers heard. Flipper's do- <laughs> cute. I, I don't even know that it goes into that. But like I, I, it's never something I've been exposed to. As opposed to then A lot of people
1: raise the question. They'll talk about dolphin fish. mahi, mahi he's often referred to as a dolphin as fish. As a dolphin fish. Very different than re- regular dolphin. Very, dolphin. very different, yes. So, Mahi's a great product. Mahi's a great product. So, on the bright side, guys, especially, go to Monterey Bay Aquarium, check out Seafood Watch is the name of the program. Get that card that we showed you a little bit about. Download the app for your phone. You can continue to go to great seafood restaurants. You can eat good food. Yes. Another product that you can get at Monterey Bay Aquarium are little cards
0: that you can actually leave at restaurants. With we, have, the, we have them at RM. We have them at RM. They're, they're, they're pocket-sized Seafood Watch cards. They fold up into three. You stick them right in your wallet. So
1: what happens is, if you notice someone that's serving Chilean sea bass and you don't want to complain to the chef, you know how many
0: chefs I've gotten to take off the, that off the menu in this well, town by it, the it way. It all personally. starts. It all starts with us. Yeah. I mean, it starts with the, with the consumers and the diners. If you go to a restaurant, and you say, "I don't eat Chilean sea bass because it's a a, a a red-listed species." Watch how fast they'll take it off the menu. And, and the, if you're not alone, if you have you know a following, if there as this thing grows and gains momentum, you'll see how quickly people start falling in line.
1: And that's what these cards, this second set of cards that I'm talking about that you can get at RM, you can get from Monterey Bay, it has the fish on it. And if you're too shy, if you're not the kind of person who likes to complain, you just leave it on the table for your server to pick up. And it says, I noticed you're serving this. Just so you know, I'm, I'm, I intend to patronize restaurants. I prefer to patronize restaurants that commit to sustainable seafood. Absolutely. I will admit, RM Seafood does an incredible job. They go 100% sustainable. 100 yes. I freely admit it, I'm not 100%. I do occasionally eat red listed items. The point is, people, it doesn't have to be a religion. If people would switch 50% of their seafood intake from the big five species that are red listed, yep. the ones you eat every day, and if half the time you would substitute something else, you would take such an
0: incredible you know, it, it would it would weight it, off the environment. Exactly, exactly. A, a little goes a long way in this situation. Um, you know, uh, think outside the box. Uh, take yourself out of your own comfort zone. Eat something that you've never had before. Try something that, oh, it's it's kind of close to what I like, but I don't know. Give it a shot. Uh, all, all we can ask, all I ever ask of people, especially when they come dining at, at RM or any other restaurant, is try it. Yeah. If you don't like it, fine. But at least you know, give yourself the opportunity to expand your. Your culinary horizons—you uh, know—you you can eat any fish that's that's in the ocean. And just really, one, really can. one quick one: yes
1: or no? When I'm in the supermarket and all I see is farm-raised salmon, and then I see sockeye, wild, wild-caught sockeye salmon, that's a good, good choice for me to make at home, or no? Ten out of ten times. Always a good. Ten chance. out of ten. Time. So there you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. And you know what? It's usually cheaper than the farm-raised salmon.
0: I it's, find it, that. It, it, whether it's cheaper or not, it's a better, it's a better quality product. It's responsible to the environment, and you know what? Chances are you're supporting a fisherman, who. Goes out there on his boat, you know, busts his butt making sure that he gets his quota to sell to whomever, to me, to Whole Foods, to Trader Joe's, to uh, Albertsons, to any anybody who's selling fish to to the uh, to the American public. You know, and, and like I said, it's it starts with the consumer. If if the consumer changes their mind, watch how quickly the the um, the, the supermarkets and these these you know these large purchases of fish. We'll follow on. Well,
1: thanks a lot for taking time out of your day. One more time, you are listening to, watching, listening to, whatever you're doing, top of the food chain here at VegasVideoNetwork.com. You can find all of our old episodes at iTunes, on um, YouTube, listen to us on KSHP, 1400 AM on Friday nights. We will be back next week. I'm not quite sure who the guest is going to be. I don't know if I could top this guest. It was incredible. I don't have but, a Mohawk, but... Yeah, well, uh, you can't have... Who, who does? They tend to clash. Who does anymore, right? Anyway, guys, please check out my website. It is almancini.net. Also, please buy my book. It's Eating Las Vegas, the 50th Central Restaurants. RM Seafood listed amongst our top 10 restaurants. We're in it. This is the second week in a row I've had somebody from a top 10 restaurant down here. So um, good to be the king, I guess Al. people got to kiss my butt. That's <laughs> nice. Thanks a lot. We'll be back next week, guys. Hey Dad